So good to see you today. Good to see you. You know, every time we come together, of course, we continue to celebrate the resurrection. And uh, great to have you here today, both members and guests. Of course, had lots of guests on Easter Sunday, last Sunday, but we continue. Had several in our first service and several here today. So we welcome you once again, and we're glad that you're here. Would you take a Bible or smartphone or tablet or reach under? There's some Bibles also under your chairs there. Would you find the book of 1 Samuel? We're going to be 1 Samuel chapter 1. And uh, we're glad you're here. Congratulations to our graduates today. And excited to be a part of our college ministry. And uh, we know the Lord's going to continue to bless in college ministry. We look forward to see what the Lord is going to do. Look forward to see what the Lord's going to be doing in your lives as well. Uh, we are, uh, we're turning a new chapter and starting a new uh, series today uh, called He's Still King. And uh, uh, let him reign. And so we're going to be kind of preparation mode for seeing and talking about some of the kings of Israel. Saul, we'll spend quite a bit of time probably on King David there uh, also. And as we look at those, recognize, of course, that uh, Jesus is King of Kings, still reigns uh, in the world, reigns in hearts of all those who know and love him. So hope that you'll want to certainly be a part of this series. Hope that you'll want to come and uh, be looking forward to what the Lord's going to be showing us in the days and the weeks to come. 1 Samuel chapter 1, we realize as we look at this story about uh, the birth of Samuel, we're just looking, we're going to read a slice of it, verses 9 through 20, but you want to keep your Bibles open or your, uh, uh, keep your phones out or whatever so that you might be able to uh, look at some more of these verses as we look at them along the way. But this is now the Word of God, 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning with verse 9. It said, After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose... Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. No razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I'm all in trouble in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor straw drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out at my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. Then they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. And then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah's wife and the Lord remember her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Samuel. And she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. Well, you recognize, of course, the fact that uh, we are on this journey together. We're doing life together. We're doing it together as a church. Those of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus, and uh, we invite people to come along with us, and we encourage others to come do life with us as they come to know Christ as uh, Savior and Lord. And we are on a special trek as a church as we're making our way through the Scriptures. We're working our way to let the Scriptures speak, and while we're not going straight through, come back from time to time, we're actually working our way from the uh, beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. Back in uh, 2020, we talked about uh, Moses and the Exodus and the Israelites leaving Egypt. Thought, what a 
what an, how appropriate for us as we felt maybe enslaved by the pandemic, but we found that all true freedom comes from knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And we want to continue to move forward uh, in Jesus. We talked about Joshua. We went through the Joshua. We understood. And the Lord talked about the believing His promises, victory that is in Christ. And hopefully we discover and continue to discover we don't want to walk in the wilderness, but we want to walk in the promised land. We want to be where the place where we know that we're living and growing with the Lord Jesus. Through the period of the judges... Uh, maybe learn some new stories, some we were forgotten, some we were reminded of, but we learned that the Lord helps us even during the difficult times. His grace is going to be sufficient. He always has a purpose, and He's always working it out in love and working out His plan. In the book of Ruth, we spent January talking about the book of Ruth. We usually have kind of a January series or book that we looked at, and that was ours from January, great, one of the great love stories of history, we believe. Ruth from Moab, Ruth the Moabitess, and, her, and Boaz, her kinsman redeemer, with our focus being on the fact that Jesus, of course, is our redeemer, and he continues to walk through us and uh, continues to work through us, and we recognize the salvation that we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What I want you to see here is I want you to see a thread, not just through the Bible, but a thread through history where the Lord continues to work from Abraham, who was called, and he was going to be the father of many and then, we, of course, we talked about Exodus. And then we the Joshua moving to the promised land, period of the judges. Ruth was uh, lived during the time of the judges. So and we understand that the Lord continues uh, to be at work. Ruth being the great-grandmother of David, King David, and David being the ancestor of uh, Mary and Joseph, the mother and the stepfather of Jesus. The Lord continues uh, to be at work, and the Lord continues to provide. Thus, we believe and know that the Lord is at work to plan and provide what is needed to bring more people to Him on a global scale. We also believe that the Lord is at work in your life, in our life, individuals, that He cares for us, and He wants to provide for you and your family in all ways, including salvation for you and yours, to be brought closer to Him. Trusting Jesus for what we need today, learning from His Word as we come along on this journey together. Which brings us to this family we're reading about today. Elkanah is the husband. He's mentioned in the earlier passages here. And uh, Hannah that we read about is one of the wives who's barren. She has no children. I say one of the wives because there's another wife by the name of Penina. She has plenty of children. And she ends up provoking and taunting Hannah, who is barren and has no children. Now, doesn't that sound cruel? Well, it is cruel, but she's doing it because her husband loves Hannah, the other wife, more and gives her more. Now, let's pause long enough to address, perhaps, uh, Elkanah and his two wives. Genesis 2 makes it clear as well as other parts of the Bible that always God's intention, one man and one woman for life is always God's ideal. Anyone who tries to use the Bible to justify man and man or woman and woman or more than one wife and believe God is okay with that is just barking up the wrong tree because it is just not there. Just say that I'm not going with the Bible, I'm not going God's way, I'm going my own way, and then be able to remember, and we need to be sure to tell people God loves everyone, and He always has a better plan when we stray away from God's plan or God's ideal. Now, in our culture, it's rare for somebody to justify more than one spouse, though there are several people, many whom God used 
in the Old Testament who had more than one wife. But I would challenge anyone to find anywhere in the Bible where it says that there were multiple wives and every guy, everyone got along and everybody and it caused no problems whatsoever. It's just not there. Hey, and I want, to be, I want to tread lightly when I say this. One man and one woman for life has enough problems. Well, there's no reason to multiply it. Is everybody okay? Like in, like in uh, Luke chapter 2 and the Christmas story, we have in 1 Samuel chapter 1 preparation for the birth of Samuel, the great leader of God's people. He is not Jesus, though he will possess qualities that are Christ-like. And God will use this family in the birth of Samuel to change a nation. Samuel was the last of the judges, first of the national prophets. God told Moses and the Hebrew people, if they were obedient, exalted God, God exalted the nation. If they were disobedient and turned from God, God would remove his blessing. The first chapter of Samuel opens up at a time when Israel and the leaders of Israel were not exalting God, but they were turning away from God's law. It was a dark time spiritually. Period of the judges, some of us walked through this in this past year, but the period of Judges is summarized, except for a few glimmers of hope in Judges chapter 17 and 21 and other places, with these words, everyone did what was right in his or her own eyes. In other words, there was virtually no standard by which people lived. Now we as believers in our Christian circles, we often talk about perhaps the problems with our nations and maybe with leaders today, and, and we've left our biblical foundation and turn from our Judeo-Christian ethic and our nations in trouble spiritually. But if we were to say this about our nation today and say this about the United States, everyone is doing what's right in his or her own eyes, many people would say, well, what's wrong with that? However, that phrase is not meant to be a compliment. Where there is no standard, where there is no biblical guideline, at least a spiritual tragedy, moral decline disintegration of the family and people turning farther and farther away from God. Our attitude is more often than not, well, what's a Christian to do? It's the world in which we live, just the way it is. But I want us to discover how this family, with a focus on Hannah, we used her before on Mother's Day perhaps. Mother's Day is not far away. We could have done that again, but, uh, but this couldn't wait. How, the, how this family influenced a nation. Consider in that day particularly as you read the book of Judges, war after war affecting people's lives. Nation was in spiritual decline. And because of idol worship, God's ideal for the family was waning. But Elkanah and his family were God-fearing, God-worshiping people. Yet, as we've already read and talked about, they weren't a perfect family. They had their own family conflicts. We, too, are perhaps living not in the best of times in our nation, in our world, spiritually speaking. What's a believer to do? And personally, you or even your family might be facing some difficulties in your life. And like with Hannah, it might be cause of something that someone else has done that's brought you more heartache or pain or just something that may be beyond your control. You may be facing today and you may be needing today a little hope, a little encouragement, maybe some direction in life. Well, I'm going to ask you to join me in these next few minutes as we discover together from this story with a focus on Samuel's mother, Hannah, what a Christian What's a Christian to do in the world in which we live and the personal circumstances that we may be facing today? What's a Christian to do? You've got your notes there, maybe help you along, but we'll put them on the jumbotron as well. But what's a Christian to do? Christians pray. Don't you wish it was a little more exciting, perhaps? 
I mean, of course, all believers pray or should pray, but do we? In my few decades of ministry, I have found myself sometimes on civic boards or in, uh, involved in community things to where I may not be the only Christian present, but I may be the only preacher present. And so I've been asked to pray in lots of different situations, circumstances, in meetings out in the public. Sometimes grand openings, sometimes it'd be city or state things that were happening, even city councils and those kinds of things. They, if I'm there, just about always ready, so they may ask me to pray, and that's okay. Probably the strangest place that I've ever prayed was over the loudspeaker at Walmart. Now, I just didn't get, grab the microphone and start praying, you understand? They asked me to. Now, there have been many other times I've prayed in Walmart. Lord, get me out of here. Lord, help me find whatever it is I'm looking. But in this particular case, it was a grand opening at Walmart. Hey, I'm glad to live in a time and a place to where people were still asking. Uh, they wanted public prayers at grand openings of public events, and it's a privilege to take part. It was the groundbreaking of the new high school. Superintendent asked if I would come and pray, and the governor was coming before the governor spoke. So uh, he said that he would, we were waiting for the governor to arrive, and he said that uh, he's going to give a welcome to everybody, and then I would pray, and then, uh, and then the governor would speak. So I'm kind of off to the side, all the big wigs, and you know, in the town, they were on one side of the little stage that was out there in the field, and I was on the other side, just out of the way, ready to make a beeline. And the governor was running late. Now, this is two or three governors ago. And uh, I had met that governor uh, once already at a prayer breakfast. And after the prayer breakfast, many were kind of in a receiving line and being introduced to the governor. And when it came my turn, uh, somebody introduced us that this is Pastor Redmond and his wife, Kelly. And I shook his hand and I froze. I had no words came out of my mouth. I, I, knew, I could tell he was waiting for me to say something. And so finally he asked me, where do you pastor? And I thought, oh, this will be an easy one. Um, uh, Baptist Church, I guess. And so uh, able to. So that was my first presentation with the governor. So I'm standing there and I'm waiting for the governor to come. And and they big way one, they figured he's going to pull up on this side, and I'm on the far side over there. When the governor, we're waiting for him to come. He comes and he pulls right where I'm standing. I'm the only one over there. And so I he pulled the car pulls up right where I'm sitting. So I open up the door. Hello, Governor, we're glad you're here. Thank you so much for coming, as if I had anything to do with him being there. And he shook my hand. He said, aren't you that goofy preacher that uh, I'd met before? And, uh, and so this is the hand that shook the hand. I had a mind not to wash it for a week. You know, most or parts of that story are actually true. Uh, what a privilege it is to be able to pray to a God and sometimes unbeknownst to us who is using our prayers to join God in His great work. For Hannah, at least for the moment, she was not as concerned about the, about the nation, but about seeking God, but rightly so, for her, she prayed for her personal needs. But like Hannah, by doing the right thing, by bringing your petitions before God, you're influencing your family and others, and you're joining God in His work that will benefit this church, this community, and the country in which we live, and even the world who needs to know Christ. Do you want to join God in His good work? It begins with prayer. Family life can get complicated, particularly when it strays from God's ideal. Then what are you to do when, you're, or when life is complicated or you're in crisis? Verse 7 says that Hannah was reduced to tears and had no appetite. And her husband tried to console her. Boy, husbands, God bless us. Boy, we mean well, don't we? In verse 5, we started verse 9, but if you got your Bibles, you might notice in verse 5, he gave, gave her a double portion of food. 
Well, I'm no expert, but telling your wife to eat more may not always be the best answer. Uh, depression often leads to, di- to eating disorders. For anybody in her case, she could not or she would not eat. Now, they were at the annual feast, and perhaps this was his way of showing her more love. Then he said to her in verse 8, we started verse 9, but you can notice this. She said to her what every husband has ever said to a sad wife. Why are you so sad? You got me. He said, why are you so sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? And yes, men, we're thinking, why doesn't this snap them right out of it? Of course, she's thinking just the opposite. (laughs) You're all I've got. Oh, I'm in trouble. Ladies, if you're depending on your husband or if you're depending on anyone else to solve your problems or to do the right thing to make you feel better, you're depending on the wrong person. You do need to have the most important person in your life. As a matter of fact, you can only feel as good about yourself as the most important person in your life. And who is that? It's the Lord Jesus. He's the one that you need to uh, depend on, of course. After well-meaning but failed attempt by the husband, Hannah went to the tabernacle to pray. How thankful we are for praying wives and moms and husbands and sons and family members who pray. But let's talk about what makes for an effective prayer life. And I'm going to give these to you fairly quickly, but four things that we could see particularly what makes for an effective prayer life, and it was for, for Hannah and her family and even the nation there. But one of those needs to be genuine. Hers was not a dry prayer. Often heartfelt prayers will lead to wet eyes. Now, it doesn't mean that if you don't cry when you pray, that's not a genuine prayer. But Eli the priest saw her, and while she prayed silently, her lips moved, but no sound came out. Eli thought she was drunk. It was a feast time. This is how far away spiritually that they had come because they still had the annual feast, but they would often abuse those, and there would be overeat and drink too much. Now, like some of you, I will, uh, I will often prayer walk or walk while praying or pray while walking. Sometimes it'll help me to focus a little bit more. But if I'm not intentional, I will, I will stop my lips from moving while praying and walking. I don't think anybody would think I'm drunk, but a crazy old man walking around your neighborhood talking to himself it was what it might seem like. Anybody ever uh, drive and pray? It's not against the law to pray and drive. In fact, it's probably safer praying and driving than lots of other things that you could do. I, it's probably even okay for you to even move your lips while praying and driving if you're the only one in the car. And, uh, but do always keep your eyes uh, open. It would probably always be good. But what was unusual was not in her prayer or the way in which she prayed. What was unusual is that Eli, the high priest didn't recognize genuine prayer even in the tabernacle. How far they had come. Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. We may be here about them on another day. They were also priests. They did wicked and detestable things. And Eli looked the other way and never gave any correction. There must be a connection or a contrast between genuine and spirit-filled prayer and a contrast maybe between that and being drunk because it's not the only time onlookers thought God-fearing people were drunk with wine. It happened at Pentecost when they were speaking in tongues. They all thought they were drunk. Peter stood up and said, it's nine in the morning. These people are not drunk. Then later Paul says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. We know that there's a contrast between being filled with the Spirit and being drunk with wine. One's good for you, one's not. 
People who are drunk lose all inhibitions. They're not worried about what people are thinking about them. Now, you know already, I'm sure, how I feel about the consumption of alcohol because of the danger of losing your witness and the effect that it can have on others. Even if you can hold your liquor and you can drink responsibly, we know that we have responsibility for others. Not only make this comparison because of the comparison to Scripture. Genuine prayer loses all inhibitions and becomes honest with God and concentrates and focuses on Him. So prayer, for it to be effective, needs to be genuine. Also, it needs to be particular. She prayed for one son. Philippians 4, 6 says, make your request known to God. It's okay. It's not wrong for you to say, Lord, just bless everybody. Just bless everybody in the world. Everybody in the country, nation, church. What it's up. But the effective prayer is the one who prays particularly and is ready to receive a particular answer. It may not be the answer that we always want or that we hope for, that we prayed for, but particular prayers must trust this particular answer. It also needs to be unselfish, genuine, particular, unselfish. She prayed for one son. I guess we could say in the comparison to Abraham's wife, Sarah, who prayed for children. She made a promise to him of the Lord. He was to be a Nazarite all of his life and be... Now, as a Nazarite, as someone who would be dedicated to God, there were some particular things, not, not drinking any liquor, not drinking any wine, also not touching dead bodies, and in particular, not cutting his hair would be a symbolism of his dedication. There are, a lot of times people made a Nazarite vow themselves for a certain period of time or maybe for something particularly that was happening. There are a couple of lifetime Nazarites mentioned in the Bible. One was Samson in the Old Testament, one of the other judges, and John the Baptist seems to have been a Nazarite as well. And then it needs to be also attitude changing. Genuine, particular, unselfish attitude changes. She prayed a private prayer in a public place. Now, to give Eli some credit, the high priest, he realized her sincerity in seeking the Lord. And when he did, certainly he saw how she was very different from most Israelites. But he blessed her, put his amen to the prayer the Lord used Eli to show her that God hears the prayers. Her prayers when she got up were not answered as of yet, but she was able to rise and she ate. She was no longer sad. One translation said her face was no longer downcast, knowing that her prayers were heard by a loving God. Circumstances may have stayed the same, but her attitude was different. See, effective prayers do not necessarily change our circumstances or become answered as we had hoped, but effective prayers always changes the heart and the attitude of the person praying. And the Bible tells us that the prayers of a righteous person availeth much. You know, when you come to sit and worship today, the devil probably didn't take notice. Well, if you write a check to the church... Satan probably does not care. If you sit in a Sunday school class, it probably hardly makes a blip on his radar. But when you pray, Satan shudders because he remembers. He knows about effective prayer. He knows and he's seen foundations shake, prison doors come open, chains fall away, revival begin, every great awakening that has ever happened Begins with prayer, genuine, particular, unselfish, attitude-changing prayer unleashes the power of God. It makes a difference in your life, in the life of your family, community, country, and the world. And the devil trembles. Also, what makes a difference? What's a, what's a Christian to do? Christians protect. 
Christians protect. One of the Proverbs that we would have been reading this month, if you're part of our 100 days of Psalms and Proverbs, Proverbs 4 and there, Solomon says, above all else, guard the heart. How important it is to guard our own heart in these particular days. We, we also want to spiritually protect our family and our church and our country and that to reach beyond our borders. Whew, that sure sounds like a large task. But with privileges come responsibilities as followers of Jesus. How do we do that? Well, if you've got your notes, you might have seen the triangle, but I want you to think of it as a triangle of protection with three sides. And what does each look like? Well, let's look at the Scripture and see if we can find out. I want you to notice some repetition, perhaps, in the story of Samuel and his parents. In fact, 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 3, the very first part of that verse says, Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship. And then notice the very first part of verse 19. Verse 19 says, They rose up early in the morning, they worshiped before the Lord. And then notice the very last part of verse 28, still 1 Samuel chapter 1, and he worshiped before the Lord. And then in 2 Samuel, excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 19, it says this, and His mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Surely you see the pattern here. So one side of her triangle needs to be worship regularly. Worship is important. I, I suppose that one could argue that they went once a year, and that seems to be enough for some folks. But they traveled to Shiloh for the annual sacrifice that represented personal worship at home. There are no guarantees. Children and family and others will be protected spiritually and follow the Lord. If you're in worship every Sunday, have personal worship in your home. But without it, part of the fence is already down and part of the hedge of protection is gone. For Jesus said, oh, they're waiting. Wild animals, thieves, enemy in this world who are looking have come to steal, kill, and destroy. And remember, there's a difference between sitting in a pew and genuine worship focusing on Christ our Lord. What's our second hedge of protection? Now, here are some clues. Hannah did everything she could to protect Samuel spiritually and bring him up in the way of the Lord. Now, Samuel would one day, and we'll read about the day in which he would have to decide whether he's going to follow the Lord or not. But his name, even his name Samuel means name of God or God is hoped. You may have a Bible, uh, study Bible says something about asked of God, but it definitely pointed to God, given to him so that he might know that he was to belong to God. Notice verses 21 and 22. 1 Samuel 1, 21 and 20. It says, Then the man Elkanah and his house went up to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell forever. Traditionally, that thought is at three years. He would be with Hannah and then he would be taken to Shiloh, to the tabernacle, to be with Eli and others who would be caring for him. Now, now not every child's name has to be biblical. I knew of one pastor named as, uh, had four sons. They were Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They were easy to remember. Uh, I always wonder what parents were thinking when they named their daughter Patience. And then I raised daughters and now I know. But uh, Now, most of us are not going to drop off our children at the church. In fact, I'm admonishing you, do not drop your children off at the church. But make it clear and by example, dedicate yourself and your children and family to the Lord. So like Hannah, 
Another side of our triangle is this. Dedicate clearly. Dedicate clearly. Make it clear, particularly to your family, your children, others, your dedication to the Lord, your loving desire for them to follow the Lord's purpose for their lives. Let them not wonder about your relationship that it is growing. And make it clear that you know God. He has a plan and a purpose. So, so many young people, so many adults are unclear that there's any purpose for their existence at all. They need to know that there is a purpose that is God designed. Samuel knew he had a purpose and it would bring back a nation to God. One reason he knew was because of Hannah's clear dedication to the Lord. One, one more hedge of protection. We're going to read four or five verses. Here, chapter 1, verses 24 through 28. And see if you can see that one more. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh and the child was young. About three years old by tradition. Then they slaughtered the bull. They brought the child to Eli. And she said, speaking to Eli, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord, Yahweh God. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Verse 28 says, Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he's lent to the Lord. And we read that earlier, and he worshiped the Lord there. Worship regularly, dedicate clearly. Live by example. Live by example. If you want to spiritually protect your heart and your family, this church, this community, and beyond, boy, you want to live by example. You want to walk the walk. Biblically, in light of the good news of the Gospels, we have a greater incentive to live as Christ lived. It's not so that we might be able to earn our way because there is so not, no salvation by works. It's not so that we might be able to pay Jesus back somehow. We want to live for Jesus and we want to love others simply because He first loved us. There's no greater time in our lifetime, maybe in history, than people need to see that God's people are seeking to live for Jesus. We're not going to be perfect about it. But listen... We can't keep telling people that Jesus is the hope of the world and then live like the world. How are they ever going to believe it? How's your family going to believe it? Don't leave your heart unprotected. Christians pray, Christians protect, and Christians prove their love. It was a mother's love that allowed her son at that time, her only child, for he was chosen for greater things to be the greatest leader of God's people since... Joshua, Moses, and Abraham. Her sacrifice proved her love. And he grew every year. She would bring him a new robe for him where he served in Shiloh. Her actions demonstrated her love. Her sacrifice demonstrated her love as well. And Samuel grew. 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 26. You look in your Bible. I think we're going to have it on the screen. 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 26. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. For New Testament believers, we're Old and New Testament, but we're New Testament. Does that sound familiar? It sounds very familiar to how it says Jesus grew when he was 12 in Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. What greater love can a mother show than to provide an environment where a child can grow to be like Jesus? God wants to use you to steer others in His direction. God wants to use you to steer others in His direction. Now, you want to be careful, parents, I guess, with preschoolers and children, what you say and what you do in the home, because 
your children are going to tell their Sunday school teachers. Uh, one of our preschool teachers was talking about uh, communion, Lord's Supper, and talking about the bread and the wine. Now, I know if you've ever noticed, I always talk about the bread and the cup, and, uh, but how the bread and wine, and it was part of worship. We take that, and one little girl raised her hand and says, My mother worships every night with wine after supper. And I said, So you've got to be careful sometimes what you, what you share. One, one uh, Sunday school teacher asked, uh, said, why do, you, why do you love God? And the little boy said, I don't know. guess it just runs in my family. What greater acknowledgement, what greater thing than there could be than to be able to say that God, the love of God runs through your family. By the way, Hannah's love and sacrifice was blessed. I mean, after all, Samuel became the great prophet of God. And Hannah, who was barren, had five more children. What's a Christian to do? Christians praise God. After Hannah prayed and protected spiritually, proved her love, she praised God. What's a Christian to do? Give praise to God every day. Give praise to God in every situation, in the good and the difficult. Read part of her praise, would you? 1 Samuel chapter 2, just read the first couple of verses there. And it says, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. She gave praise. And notice, go down to about verse 10 or 2 verse 10. Notice the very last line in verse 10. To where it says, He will give strength to His kin and exalt the horn of His salvation. Who's the king she's talking about? Who's the anointed one? Moses had already prophesied about a coming king who would exercise power and authority over all the nations of the world. She may not have known his name, but Hannah was giving glory to Jesus. He's still king. Let him reign. He's the great shepherd. The rock of all ages. Almighty God is he. Bow down before him, love and adore him. What's his name? His name is wonderful, Jesus my Lord. What's a Christian to do in the world in which we live today? You will put Jesus first and give God all the glory if you want to do more than just survive. If you want to be a part of what God's doing. Uh, we were on a mission trip in South America sometime ago. Uh, some time back, we met a fellow by the name of Manuel. Manuel was actually a Hispanic American businessman who had traveled, traveling there for uh, uh, business. And he was actually from America. And the good thing about traveling abroad is everybody wants to know why you're here. And uh, he wanted to know, even though he was from the States. I thought how interesting it was that perhaps the Lord had brought us from the United States and Manuel from the United States for this very conversation. I told him about our church and what we were doing, a little bit about our faith, and I asked him if he was a believer. And uh, he said, no, he's not. I said, but my wife is, and she goes to church. And uh, I, said, does, uh, I said, does she pray for you? He said, oh, yeah, she sure does. She prays for me. I sure am glad that she prays for me. We talked a little bit more about what it means to be a believer in the Lord Jesus and he said something that has stuck with me. He said, I guess it's about time that I stop letting other people's prayers cover me. 
Let me ask you today, are other people praying for you? Are you not where you should be? Do you need to give your life over to Him? Maybe it's time today to lift up your own prayer and ask Jesus to be Savior and Lord of your life or to come back to where you once were or where you need to be. Maybe you need to dedicate yourself and your home to God. Maybe it's a continual dedication and now the Lord has brought us to such a place so that we might be ready to take that next step and to be able to keep moving forward. Whatever it is, I want to give you that opportunity even now. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to you, we recognize your presence in this place. We thank you for your word that speaks to us. We thank you for the praise and prayers that have been lifted that we know have been a sweet fragrance and that you've heard today. Father, we pray if there's someone here, someone listening live stream today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. Perhaps they have somebody praying for them, perhaps not. But may they lift up their own prayer even now, asking Jesus to forgive them of all their sins and asking Christ to come in and begin that journey along with us. Father, we pray for those who may have be far away, not where they need to be. May they lift up their own prayer. Even now, asking Jesus to come and to be in His presence and to live and to grow as they should. Father, may all of us be ready, even now, when we think about what it is that we need to do, pray our own prayer, asking Jesus that we may continue to grow and walk with Christ, even in a grander way than we've ever done before. Thank you, Lord, for providing all things that we need so that we might know that you have a purpose and a plan for each one of us. Thank you for being close. We lift up these prayers in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.